you're walking an upward spiraling path along a mountain on a pilgrimage in the cold. It's not snowing. It's just it's cold. You're wrapped in a beautiful warm patchwork coat of many colors and fabrics. You're wearing shepherd sandals. Your head and your ears are covered warmly as well. There's occasional gusts of wind that shifts your comfort as the air travels along your face and down your neck. So you adjust the patchwork coat, your fingers gently bitten by the bitter cold. You're getting higher now, gaining altitude. Now the gusts are continuous. You're supposed to go to the top where you're instructed to receive your answer. And you're wondering what is at the top, what you'll need to know, walking in sandals for what seems like ages. You're hunched, marching to split the gusts that are fighting you up a mountain that promises deep wisdom at its summit. By now, you're in denial of your own complaints against the icy, snowless hardship as you're pushing towards with the summit's promise. You're going, the edge of the mountain getting closer. Until the whistles of the gusts are gone and the sounds of your sandals begin the only echo towards the summit. Your posture once a defense from the cold straightens. The atmosphere is still, so you continue. Even your breathing can be heard across the realms as the blue skies gradate to a flamingo sunset, and looking over the edge is a bed of clouds beneath. The cracks in the mountain sprouts fuchsia-colored grass, completely filling the ground, and as you continue upwards, you hear a faint chime, similar to the pitch of a child's bicycle. The echo of your footsteps along the grass, an arrhythmic symbol instrument to it. You're seconds away from the summit, you feel. Seconds. The chime signals again, sounding closer. But you can tell now it's coming from the mountain. If only you stop to peek over the edge. But you continue on with the pilgrimage. Answers you seek are but a moment away as you follow the upward spiraling trail. Swiftly, a dark tube-like figure is shooting upwards into the skies past you in the narrow mountain edge. Its velocity creating echoes of fabric blowing in the wind with the length of the figure seemingly miles long. The chime sound rings again. And you learn it's coming from the long-formed figure. The figure dive drops, curling through the sky until it notices you in its field of vision. And a tightness is felt in your chest and a pit of fear deepens inside of your stomach as the flying reptilian figure makes its way towards you. It is a dragon. Wingless, colorful, hypnotic, an Asiatic dragon gracefully rushing towards you as the silent atmosphere houses echoes of its elegance. The dragon loosely coils itself up, slowing down, lowering its face to yours pushing steam from nostrils like a broken pressurized pipe in the flamingo sunset skies. Tian Shen, the dragon, pauses, watching you, glaring at you, it seems. 
for but a moment, only to then blast upward towards what appears to be the mountain summit waiting for you. So you immediately follow suit, rushing. You finally arrive at the top, your body sore from the trek. Your journey comes to a close. But Tian Shen, the dragon, isn't there. It is said that those who catch a glimpse of Tian Shen are forever changed. For in order to spot such rarity, one must be in highest of heights and the purest of pure. The story of sighting Tian Shen is the rare opportunity one has to see Gemini in their fullness. It does not happen often. For Tian Shen to reveal itself to you is indicative of your purity. And even then, the sight is fleeting. And you're liable to forget. Welcome to the end of Gemini season. Yo, what's up? Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome to the Painful Podcast. I'm the Painful, and this space is for you. Welcome back to the bonfire. Welcome to the grounds of fertility here, where we're teachable and we apply the things that we learn in our lives and we share our life lessons as gifts. Also, we have elders. Thus, we're not wandering lone wolves in these streets without any guidance. We apply the wisdom and guidance of the elders for a smooth and prosperous life, for that is the only life the elders want for us to have. Now, if you do not know who I am, I am an artist. Uh, business owner, J Green Multimedia, DBA J Green Arts, there, which I am an art instructor. I am a children's book illustrator, creator, and producer of the children's art show, The Painted Fool's Paint House, there, which I teach uh, children how to paint. And we have a very unique ability in which we take our canvas, shake that painting, and bring the thing we painted to life. And that thing we bring to life helps to save the day in some way. You can find me on Roku, Apple TV. Amazon Fire TV on the channel or the network, the Goddess Talk Network. So please add the Goddess Talk Network to your channels and enjoy with your families to watch The Painful's Paint House. I do a bunch of other things under J Green Art, um, but right now I am currently closed for services. I am taking a major break, uh, fin tying up some loose ends, finishing some things, and going in a different direction business-wise. So J Green Multimedia is changing directions and shifting directions and expanding. So um, right now, close for work of all sorts. Now, this space, The Pain of Fool, is designed for everyone to be their best selves. Um, I'm not a coach. I'm not advocating that type of thing. I'm just me. And <laughs> just be yourself, you know. This space here is just all about vulnerability. You know, typically I draw... Uh, misfits and those who were just kind of ostracized or weirded out or just weirded out of society. Um, and here we just talk about a lot of different things. We talk about the little things that bring us all together, whether it's music, whether it's art, uh, video gaming, whether it's random movie things, astrology, astronomy, um, you know, the Zodiac, all that good stuff. We have conversations about it all. Um, I do have interviews occasionally called The Art Of, in which I speak with people that have occupations that some may not deem artistic and we explore that as well so if you were ever curious about this space the paintedfull.com is the source also you'll find on there a space where i um it's called the people that i love i cover the different elders and people in my life that i respect highly and if you ever were curious check that page out as well i also do a little strutting and twirl twisting and twirling on tiktok that's all on my website as well um, the paintedfull.com now 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 Yes, it is the end of Gemini season. Yes, it is the start of cancer season, but there were some delays, minor hiccups. It was just a lot going on with me and I needed to sort some things out. So let's pretend we have one more day of Gemini season before we begin. So astrologically, we're going to talk about the astrology and then we're going to talk about my personal, um, my personal astrology. And then we'll talk about the astronomy of planet Mercury, the ruler of Gemini also Virgo, but right now we're talking about Gemini and Mercury. So I'm going to explore a little bit of the personalities of Gemini, just because I like to do that, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, 
and then we'll continue. All right. So for me, let me give you a quick kind of story of what was going on with me. All right. So tropical, Leo rising, spicy sun, Sag moon. I'm not giving all degrees in the aspects, so just not doing all that. Um, <laughs> Vedic or sidereal, Cancer rising, Aquarius sun, and Sag moon. We're talking about the tropical right now, though. So for me, as you know, um, at the end of May, we had a lunar eclipse in Sag. We also had a solar eclipse in Gemini. Where we had, we've been in Mercury retrograde in Gemini as well at the end of, towards the end of May. So for me, if you're aware of the houses, that uh, lunar eclipse took place in my fifth house of creativity, fun, enjoyment, all that stuff, sometimes even escapism, all that good stuff. And then we have Mercury retrograde in, in Gemini, which is in my 11th house of social networks, people, social society, friends. Um, the ruler of my of my of Gemini of my 11th house is Mercury in my seventh, which rules relationships, partnerships, contracts and all of that good stuff. Marriage and divorce as well. And then we have the solar eclipse in Gemini, which is in the same Spot. So as you could imagine, for those who are well informed, there was a lot of, uh, of highlights placed upon my my friends uh, or alleged friends, as well as escapism and things I need to change in uh, in my personal life as well. So there's been a huge, huge focus on that. Hence the podcast episode about reciprocity. But as much as uh, I wanted to focus on the outward friends, it was all about me. It was all about my own personal uh, relationship with friendship and reciprocity and being a friend and all of this other good stuff and what's true and what's not true and uh, smoke and mirrors and all that good stuff. And what relationships are worthy of maintaining their uh, time with me? You know, so a lot of that was the focus. And, you know, of course, eclipses take a course of months you know, the effects takes take some months. I'm I'm thinking six and whatnot. So that's that has been the focus for me. So and of course the retrograde, we have Mercury ruling communication and um yes, electronics, but just the mind overall, that has been my focus. So it's been a lot of that. So yes, as a result, more true to myself, got some counsel from a great elder. I have to redo this episode because I had a lot to say about everything until I had my consult and was told what not to reveal. So <laughs> this podcast is being done over again. I already have the other one that was pre-saved and ready to go, but things have changed. Anyway, so um, that has happened. That has been going on and that has been the focus. So as you would imagine with that 11th, 7th and 5th house stuff taking place with me, there has been a Massive change in the future, massive change in the current, massive change in social networks and massive change in creativity. So that has been what's been going on with me. Now, for many of you are different. Many of you, you know, are just it's different. Depends on where your um, where your planets are, the the degrees of which they are. And of course, um, the ruling planets and all that good stuff, the aspects that are even made you know, that all that all has an effect on the way things happen for you. OK, so with all that said. Let's get into Gemini season just a little bit, you know, the the the, the, the Gemini season, you know, the, the intellectual stimuli season, the fun, flirty social butterfly season, the multiple skill display season, uh, the sudden spark of genius season or beautifully articulated contradictory season. Uh, <laughs> Oh my goodness, the man-eater season, the woman-eater season, the, the season of gossip, ooh, and jealousy, oh. <laughs> the season of beauty, and the beauty is pain, the willingness to get through all of that for beauty. Um, extra and flamboyant season, the developed vocabulary and mystique season, oh man, the messenger season. The saying any old thing out of your mouth season. Yes, yes, yes. We are in or closing out Gemini season. How was it for you? As you know how it was for me, it wasn't necessarily the best, but I tell you, it was necessary. I have never in my entire life gotten through and have experienced this. It was mild. It was, I would even suggest, not even suggest, I would even venture to say it was, it was a minor case of depression for me because so many things were coming and hitting at once that 
uh, so many realizations about myself, you know, and um, things I need to truly, truly change and and relationships I really need to to uh, to uh, to foster within myself, thus affecting my external world, you know. Um, so, yeah, a lot of things had to go, of course. And um, that's fine. So. Gemini season is um, typically, though, for me, it's the time where I'm usually just I have a lot of mental activities, very similar to Aquarius season for me. So the sun is my chart ruler being Leo rising. When the sun is your chart ruler, wherever the sun goes, you feel you pretty much feel the effects of it or the effects are amplified in your life. So um, typically as the sun moves, that's just kind of how it is for me. Gemini season, I'm usually reading a lot, which I which I have been. Um, you're just do, you're doing a lot of talking, but you're you're really spending some time with intellectual stimulation. And that how that's how it was for me. I've been, believe it or not, very articulate with a lot of different things, uh, except in my consultation. <laughs> but that's just, you know, whatever. Um, I've just been I've been all over the place. But now it's I feel so much better. Shout out to Chief Yuya, as always, coming through with the great counsel. He provides great counsel, great counsel. I always, you know, I speak of him highly he is one of the one of the elders of the elders i speak about um you know i got a reading from him and was just i got mad clarity and yeah so gemini season was interesting here come all the phone calls and all the text messages as they do as they do anyway i had to yeah do a little change sorry just interruptions i don't like interruptions when i'm trying to communicate um this is why i go on do not disturb specifically when i am when i'm podcasting because of just the, the disrespect. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's how that's how that reading was. It was great. Go to chiefyuya.com if you're looking for coaching, counsel, spiritual readings, all that good stuff. And yes, all right, back to Gemini season. So um, let's just talk about the Gemini. First of all, let's talk about that that story that I that I wrote. I, I kind of came up with it now, of course, since I'm re-recording this podcast. Okay, so if this were the very first podcast recording, I recorded that, or not recorded, I wrote that story really sh quickly. I would say it was like an hour before I recorded the first podcast that I had to erase. Um, so that story was just to cover the, the mystery. See, Gemini are extremely underrated. Shout out to my Gemini, by the way. I'm getting to know you a lot more, and I love you guys. Uh, Gemini's are very underrated, misunderstood, misinterpreted, um, even demonized, villainized, all that good stuff, despite them having that really mischievous side and that mischievous way of behaving. Uh, the, the rare side of an evolved Gemini is extremely rare. And that rarity in them is, is pretty, is pretty damn it's like a it's like a rare happening. It's almost like spotting a UFO, spotting an alien, you know, becoming increasingly more common now. But, you know, that that story of Tian Shen, the dragon, um, kind of encapsulates that. It encapsulates just the when a Gemini reveals itself to you, when they are safe enough to reveal their true form to you, you'll. You may not ever see it again. Because they're mutable. They change so much, but the the beauty of who they are is not as it's very rare that a Gemini will show you all of themselves. All right. See the, the vibrations are still going. This is this is so annoying. All right, now we're on D and D. Um fully. So whoever is trying to call now, they're not gonna get through at all. <laughs> so that's the story of uh, that I wanted to kind of just just share the the dragon in and of itself is both terrifying but also beautiful and if you hear a hum in the background i have a little portable fan blowing on my face um so forgive me i just didn't want to i just needed this cool i'm in a different room right now so the the dragon is is both terrifying but also extremely delicate and gentle and kind and beautiful as well and that's the that's the part about the um the dragon that I wanted to capture in Gemini. And of course, the Asiatic dragon, they they fly as well. I mean, so does the, the other European dragons and all that kind of stuff, but 
that's just not that's not the vision that I see the, the Gemini in. Um, I see a flying an Asiatic dragon that's just that's just where it's it's extremely colorful, but it's just you never see it. You'll see it once in the blue, you know, and it's it's only when you're when you're being pure, when it's when you see the Gemini in its fullness, when they reveal themselves to you. Uh, so that's just the overall kind of the message of that story that I wanted to convey. And just give a nod to Gemini because they are very dope. They are very, they have, uh, hmm, they have this sophistication with their language. More evolved Gemini, the more super mercurial influential Gemini have a great use of vocabulary. An example of that would be Amber Khan. Shout out to Amber Khan, The Quietest Revolution. She is the center of The Quietest Revolution. Um, on YouTube, at this point, a, a brand that is um, provides astrological readings every month. I enjoy watching Amber Khan, not because of the readings, actually. It is the way that she represents herself. It is the use of vocabulary. It is the mystique, the allure that she that she wears so well. And how each reading has a has just has something new to offer. I watch the readings to study, to study the way that she presents. It's beautiful. I enjoy studying people in that manner. I guess you would say I'm like a, like a low key. Uh, I love marketing, you know. But at the same time, only with with truly talented individuals. Amber Khan is fucking dope, and the way that she just slides and just gently just inserts vocabulary in in her speech it's extremely it's just well done you know um that's one of the things i take away from amber khan is is that use of just vocabulary i love i love to see it um it's gemini just have this this overall allure this overall mystique this overall just they have a mystery to them very similar to pisces their intellect is the closest to me to to the ethers. And I know you're like, what? What I mean by that is their intellect is so up there. You know, they don't require for most for most people, they require a lot of some people require a lot of meditation. They require different even psychedelics and certain things that they need to to receive the insight that they need to receive. For Gemini, because they are so up there already, because they are ruled by that mercurial mental energy in the solar system, you know, in a, in a metaphorical sense, um, in an idealistic sense, it's, it shows up in just in how quickly they receive insight and how they can even predict social phenomena or even predict things with society that many people would just need to go to the dream world to do and just go through, sit in meditation to do or pop this and smoke that and do this it's just Gemini have a great ability to pick up patterns. They have a great sense of analysis, very similar to Virgo. Virgo and Gemini are great. And uh, so are so are Aquarians. They they are great at analysis, you know, and of course, Mercury rules the Zodiac of Virgo as well. And um, and Gemini. But that ability to be so analytical, but still blended with a bit of. Ah, I don't I can't really articulate it as much. Their intuitive sparks are insane. They are also, uh, to me, a lot of them are likened to the, in the tarot, they are likened to the lovers, the card, the sixth card in the major arcana. Now to me, I liken the Gemini to the tower. The, they, I see them as the tower and I, I see the, the, the actual tower in the height of the sky would be their mind and that light striking the top is the sun just that that height and that connection to uh, to knowledge and information they are so close to it that they receive those sudden jolts of information so quickly and so swiftly but rather than the tower just kind of explode and have the tw the two people come out they they tend to maintain that information well when they are in balance and the same for when they are out of balance when that that sudden jolt of insight or whether that information is is pleasant or unpleasant it could cause them to have what many see as as mental breakdowns. It happens a lot uh, with Gemini. They are they are the main ones out of all the zodiac signs, zodiac expressions, and how it shows up in their personality. Who, when they when they are over the edge, it's 
it's they're seen as having mental breakdowns. And it's because there's a lot of information going on up there. And that's just something that they um that's one of their main that's their that's their gift and someone of a something they should keep in mind to maintain balance of. So I would recommend just a side note for Gemini to take their mental health serious by the foods they eat and the people they are around and the things that they um, are, are watching. And if they are watching it, that they are careful with the information. Um, they, they still, they have this tendency to just get back up from wherever they fall. They don't, they take it on the chin, but they do. Sometimes they are prone to having moments where they just snap and shit, but that's only if they are taken to that edge or if that information is just too much for them at one moment, it's just like, Whoa, this is a lot. They are prone to ugly crying too. It's just a side note. <laughs> they birthed the term exotic. Only, only Gemini's are truly exotic. They are at the core of who they are. They are exotic. I don't mean just by the physical appearance. And yes, um, that's the first way that I, I picked it up from them. That their exotic look, you know, Gemini always have this allure. Again, I, I use that term, but I'm serious. They have this magnetism to them, this mystery. It's in their eyes. It's in their eyebrows. Even their eyes give them give them such a different, um, just this allure. Overall, they their eyes. They have. They usually have fuller lips. They have a interesting facial structure. You know, they they're model esque by default. The, the original models are, were, they had to have been Gemini. People would say Libra, nah, I would say Gemini. Gemini carry a different type of elegance with them that I would say coupled with their, that complexity, that coupled with that, um, that allure that they have or that exoticness takes them a step above Capricorn because, well, they're not com compar comparable because Capricorn's elegance is just, they just like Gemini, they're born with it. But with Gemini, there's this there is a little a bit of exotic. There's an exoticness. The Capricorn's elegance comes just with. The way that they move through life, it's it's more regal. They have a regal elegance to them. That's just you just can't you can't take that away from them. It's just there. Um, they may not have an exotic look, but they still have this regal elegance to them that increases as they age. Gemini just, they are, they are born that way. <laughs> it's crazy, you know? Um, yeah, but yeah, Gemini, they typically have that interesting face there. They may have a, some of them may even have like a pie shaped face. Um, they may even have like, you know, the angular kind of shaped face. Just some of them have, have like different cheekbones and stuff. Oh yeah. Their eyes. So at first, it was difficult for me to determine who was a Gemini and who wasn't. I can tell now, based upon how wide, how wide their eyes get when they speak. Only Gemini, when they're speaking, have these really wide eyes. Their eyes get big when they're talking to you, and they kind of just like, they, they barely blink when they're talking. They just, they eyes just, their eyelids open up, and their eyes kind of just like zero in on you as they're speaking. And... They're just, they just talk and you can see like this wide eyed childlike, just focus, receiving of information, just, just not dead, but like this super laser focus when they're speaking, they just, they focus directly on you. Like it, they're looking dead in your face when you're speaking. It's a very interesting thing to see. Um, yeah, I love that about Gemini and that's how I'm able to now tell Who's a Gemini and just who may have like maybe Gemini rising in their chart. Um, but yeah, it's that's a that's one of their striking features is that that their eyeballs, they hate to be bored. You know, they hate to be bored in many things. Do not bore them in a relationship. Do not bore them in conversation. You know, it, 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 just inspire them to think. Take them places. Let's do something fun like you know, go somewhere where there's a, a combination of integrated knowledge where you can both see something, you know, learn something and then apply it or practice it. Those are some of the best things you can do. They also like to have fun. Like some of them are great with thrill seeking, not thrill seeking, but the fun stuff, skydiving, roller coasters, amusement parks, scary stuff, just gets you going, exhilarating. They're like, they are a combination of like sad. Leo, 
Pisces, and then uh, they're they're like a weird mix of different energies, you know, and that that mutable air thing, that mutable adaptability that they have. They're so they're so neat. Mutable signs overall, they're very neat because they're not they're not the same. But one thing that you will notice with them is that they're open minded, and Gemini are very open minded. You can have conversations with them about a lot of different things, and even if they don't know what they're talking about half the time, they can still they can still at least keep up with the conversation. And that's that's a pretty good thing to have, especially when, you know, if you're if you're into marketing or you're trying to, like, uh, you know, introduce yourself or speak or even market yourself. There's different ways you can kind of navigate relationships or navigate conversations. You know, they have that that wit and that ability to do that, those different feats. It's just, it's pretty good. You know, I know when they're blowing hot air, but even when they're blowing hot air and they're just over it and they're talking too much to where it's like, you don't even know what you're talking about. They just, they're great. They're great. Um, anything else about them? I mean, but yeah, they are. Reckless with the mouth, yes. Um, you know, the one dude that was president was crazy. That's a Gemini for you. They say crazy off the hook stuff. Now, I'm familiar with that. Growing up um, in high school, I knew some Gemini that used to say some crazy stuff. Even now, in my, in my age now, they still do. But it's just more private now because they, they're grown. But Gemini, typically when they're younger, they, they tend to be uh, reckless, the mean girls type of not, uh, you know, how they have the popular table, how the Libra have the popular table. Gemini are kind of like that in a degree where it's like, uh, it's a little more cutthroat. It's like a part of their club, and you better be, you better be, you better be serve, serving the Gemini. You know, let the Gemini be the leader of the club. That's that's what it is. You know, Libra are different. It's like yo, you gotta be, you, you gotta be beautiful. You gotta be this. You gotta be that. You gotta be kind of like cool and this, that, and the other. But they're not going to exclude anyone whereas the gemini when they're young and they're in that that whole little mean girl stage they will legitimately like talk trash to you like yo like you look poor <laughs> that's a that's a gemini that's some other kind of stuff anyway i like i can talk to them about anything from beauty to sheesh i love talking to them about beauty and fragrances and all that good stuff that's one of my favorite topics to, to discuss with them because we have the similar interests. We can talk about things of, of value and the expensive things and not feel funny about it. Um, Gemini, I noticed that Gemini men, uh, maybe this is a Gemini trait, Gemini male or female, but I noticed that Gemini males, they enjoy being that um, heavy Gemini influence. They enjoy being the, the fixer upper. So you may find Gemini men or just overall Gemini energy in situations where they can offer uh like their what is it called they they look at people they can look at people to be fixer uppers so you may find them in relationships even with people they can style or upgrade their looks or they're always giving them opinions and takes on what they wear and how they could look better and this that, and the other or try this or try that they like to be that those people who are like personal stylists similar to libra but gemini i feel like are i don't know i don't know i think I think they could be a bit more articulate in how they may be the styler or the stylists or whatever, but it's that's a that's a Libra and Gemini thing, but I find Gemini a little better at it at communicating it well. They tend to articulate it well. Um what else? They're very giving, very loving. I don't know who is spinning this theory or this not theory, but this rumor that they're evil. They are the least the ones that I've known. They're very giving. They're very kind. They don't have a lot of a lot of stuff with them. Now, their darker size, they can be they can be a little manipulative. They could they can lie. I mean, but a lot of these things, these things are not exclusive to zodiac signs, though. Trash has no they don't they don't have a particular astrological expression, honestly. But um, one of the things that I will say about Gemini is that kind of one of their more so unpleasant aspects about them is jealousy. Not necessarily them being jealous, but inspiring jealousy. Because Gemini typically have this, Gemini women, I would say in amongst the, the female community is that there is this um, beauty that they have. And fairly often, and with their wits, they often tend to take a lot of men's attention. So imagine you're in a room, a crowded room of dignitaries or whatever, and you have this Gemini woman walking up 
who may not seem to have a lot of acumen or may not seem to be as qualified and accredited. And then she is speaking to one of the the CEOs or one of the top dignitaries, and she's just speaking so well and so articulate and is, is just so dynamic and so just mysterious and alluring. And he's like, huh. And all the other women that thought to be in his eye are now looking at her. Gemini women inspire jealousy. I will never, de- I will never debate that with anyone. That's just what I know to be true. And likewise, Gemini can be jealous at times. Uh, they do struggle with jealousy. But overall, uh, they're like, they're very kind. Treat them nice. They will treat you well. And um, Gemini, y'all cool, y'all cool over here. You know, I'm learning you guys a whole lot more. And I just see that the ones that have come in my life have always been in some assistance to my destiny. The ones fairly recently that have either returned or that have uh, just just added themselves into my life and kind of came out of nowhere and was like, yo, I'm putting you here. You belong here. You need to be in these positions. You need to be doing this. That's a Gemini for you, for my life at least. So that's all I want to say about Gemini. It's been going on a little too long and I want to talk about Planet Mercury or whatever. So uh, wait, 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 wait. How did I forget about the extraness? Yo, so if y'all think Leo are extra, you have never met a Gemini yet. Gemini are the original Liberaces, the original, I gotta make a scene. But see, they don't, it's not, they don't, they're not extra at all times. That's the difference between Gemini and Leo. Leo, they have to always be extravagant. And let me not put Leo on blast. I'm not gonna do that because I know my Leo are sensitive, so I'm not gonna say nothing. But um, Gemini tend to be the ones like I want to go all out like they go all out for the parties they go all out for the cert- for certain things and when they do they do it well Patti LaBelle is an example she goes all the way out now there's plenty other Gemini I could use but I'm just using her as an example Kanye is another one extremely extra they're extra but when they do they know why they do it and they are good at what they do so their extraness is extremely warranted it is not excessive it is just what it is it's extravagant with a whole soul inside of it so it's not just it's not a um like this is my this is my identity look at me gemini's extraness is just it's truly it's a gift. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to articulate it, but like it's it's not a it's not a shell. I'll say that. It's not a shell. It's not it's not about oh I, I'm gonna go all out just because I want to make these bitches jealous. No, 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 no. It's um even and even if they do it like that, it still is truly, it's just you cannot, no one can can meet or match or even supersede the the extraness of a Gemini. I'm sorry, Leo. Y'all good, y'all great, y'all, y'all the sun dynamic, all that good stuff, but nah, Gemini's different. They're just different. Okay. Now onward to planet Mercury. Let's talk. Let's talk. So get comfortable. Let's let's have a little bit of strange, interesting facts. We're gonna talk about that a little bit. And then um, I'm gonna see where else this goes. Okay. So now close your eyes and we're gonna blast off into the solar system. And we're going to go close to Mercury because I don't think we can. I mean, it's not habitable, but let's just pretend. Let's just pretend. So buckle y'all asses up. And um, <laughs> let's go. Now, I'm just giving you a heads up. We're going to the planet that is the closest to the sun. So you might want to get a little, you, you may want to wear like no clothes because you might get hot. But also you might want to bring a coat for something extremely warm because once it reaches nighttime it gets extremely cold mercury has no atmosphere it has no ex it has an exosphere it's very thin so in daytime you know you're hot so you may want to wear your pasties your fig leaves wear nothing at least you know put on consume something that to keep your body temperature pretty low you know grab your electrolyte water some coconut water or whatever but then at nighttime you might want a portable space heater because it gets extremely cold there, um, very cold. So that's one of the things you should know about Mercury is that although it is the planet closest to the sun, it does not maintain a temperature. It's not like Venus where it holds 
in the heat from its atmosphere. Now, Venus, as you know, is the, the hot planet. Uh, Mercury is different. You know, it has that polarity. It's um, known for its size. It's very small size and it's known for its speed. So as you know, planets, they have their own axis they spin on. They have their own rotation. They spin by themselves. And then, of course, they go around. They orbit around the sun. So Mercury is, is interesting in the sense that it rotates slow, but it goes around the Earth fast. So one year on Earth, I'm sorry, one, <laughs> one year on Mercury would be 88 Earth days. One solar day and night would be 176 Earth days. But typically um, it takes about 59 days for, the, for Mercury to, to spin fully. The reason why it takes Mercury a longer to have a solar day on Earth is because even though it's spinning, it's not always the sun is not always appearing to, to, to rise and set. It's not the case. So Mercury is different in the sense that it doesn't get a full sunrise and sunset, even though it's moving quickly. So a full day, that's why a full day is is it kind of just seems different. In comparison to Earth. So a rotation, 59. A actual day on Mercury, 176. And a year on Mercury is just 88 Earth days. So with the planet Mercury, of course, planets have, according to myth and even psychology, planets have been given somewhat of an archetypal value. And, you know, people actually worship planets. This isn't this isn't new. You know, people worship the sun, people worship the moon or they even base their life around the moon cycles. And the Mercury tends to have has a, has a cycle as well. It tends to have it has a dark side as like the moon. So some people may even have they may base their things off of a Mercury cycle or having they may worship the planet Mercury. Uh, it can be seen as well in the sky. It's, you know, it's not it's not hard to see. It kind of is, kind of isn't. You can view it with a telescope as well. So Mercury represents the mind and it represents how we think and communicate. Uh, this is why it was also named after the Roman god Mercury, uh, because it deals with a lot of the mental activity articulation, um, the ability to conceptualize, the ability to give and receive information, the ability to um, the ability to even speak different languages. That's another thing. Um, people who and Gemini, I would say, or those who are very mental have they, they usually take up different languages or they're usually very, very intelligent. They're very smart. They're the nerds. Um, Mercury influence on in like in a human in the human experience, you ever think about how you have these really small, frail people who are like the nerds and the whiz kids and who are the quick learners and who just they would be deemed as as individuals who would have heavy mercurial influence. Those people who know multiple languages and can interpret science and can interpret math and can interpret things at the drop of a hat and can again speak languages and not multiple languages but i mean not like just the regular languages like chinese japanese we're talking the ability to communicate now this is a higher intelligence level though um not all like the nerds and things are will be able to um communicate on a social level as well in different languages so the ability to to code what, what they call code switching speaking to speaking in a room of, of dignitaries or speaking in a room of executives and then changing your vernacular to um to match those that are more that are more local within your city vicinity then matching the vernacular of children and then matching the vernacular of, of more of a street slang and things like that's that's a kind of a, a higher intelligent uh, way that many people with that mercurial influence tends to tend to operate in life but mercury oh my gosh it's it's dope it is it the planet in and of itself it's interesting um people with mercurial influence it's funny because again mercury rules the constellations of gemini and virgo and mercury is is typically known to be uh, it has both male and masculine and femininity in it. 
So there is an influence, uh, and this is more so on an intellectual sense as well. And yes, it can, it can trickle down into our expressions and things of that nature to how some of us even tend to look androgynous or features may blend or it may be hard to tell their, their genders just based upon their faces alone. Um, but the ability to both send information out and also receive information and process that information is both a masculine thing. So giving out and also receiving and, and doing some things to it, transmuting it or changing it, that's like a masculine and a feminine expression of, of, of the information dynamic, if, if I'm using the right term. Um, that's, that's mercurial. It's, it's how information is received. It's even the, the, the speaking of information. If I'm not mistaken, I think one of the, the I forget what they're called, spaceships or something like that, one of the ones that made its travel around Mercury was called the messenger. Of course, Mercury and the planet Mercury and even the Roman god Mercury was called the messenger. And it's fitting that they use that term for that particular ship because obviously, you know, Mercury is traditionally called the messenger planet. So Mercury would be the one that would receive the knowledge and information from the sun and then pass that information on uh, to the people. Mercury, in a human sense, would be the preachers. It would be um, the pastors or the coaches, the advocates, those people who are saying or communicating information from the metaphorical most high. Um, that's an example of Mercury. So it's, it's pretty dope. Now, it's funny. Um, it's believed that Mercury is, is shrinking. Mercury has an iron core. And that iron core, when it cools, Mercury shrinks a little bit. And then when it expands, it gets bigger. But, you know, it's said that on the planet it has wrinkles because of its expansion and shrinking of its, of its iron core. That's what it's said to, said to have believed. Um, yes, there's different mythological um, associations with the planet Mercury and its archetype. You have Enki, you have Loki, you have Hermes, you have Pan, Eshu. Um, mm, uh, what's the uh, the Egyptian one? Thoth is another one, or I always get it confused. Thoth or Thoth? I always say it wrong. Um, yeah, there's different. There's like different, um, different like communications or not communications. Here, here, here I go. There's like different expressions and different personifications or um, godifications, <laughs> deifications of the planet Mercury or how it is done. Now I could be, I could be saying it out of order. It could just be that the deities were formed first and then, you know, whatever, but I don't really know. All I'm, all I'm doing is just giving you just bits of how it all ties together. I do know that the first record of the planet Mercury was in the 14th century BC or around that time. And it was recorded by Assyrian astronomers. So this is, this is talking about the planet Mercury, but not the, the deities and things that we have before. So, again, a lot of people are suggesting that it was the, the ancient Egyptians that had knowledge of, of, of the solar system and even transport, transporting themselves across dimensions and things. Hey, you know, so Romans were like, eh, you know, whatever. OK, but, you know, people did it first. Um. <laughs> Mercury is also the most cratered planet. It gets, it takes a beating. It gets, it gets a nice, it, it gets handed to it, you know, um, through the solar wind and like the asteroids and comets that are knocking it all over the place. And the craters are named after writers, artists, and musicians. So again, if you think about this whole, even musicians will be considered messengers. They can be considered messengers. Um, I would say more so on an improv level, but even not that dexterity and that enhanced wit that's an element um, also that Gemini expresses. It's a, it's, it's a witty thing, it's, it's, the, it's the dexterity, it's in how well things are communicated and articulated. That carries a mercurial influence, some would say. Um, it is also, what else, estimated that Mercury's core makes up about almost close to half of its volume, whereas the Earth core only makes up about like like a 17 to 20%. You know, so that's another interesting thing. So Mercury is small, but it's dense. 
They're saying in comparison to Earth, it's the most, it's the densest planet of the solar system. It's it's heavy metal and rock. You know, it's just, it's, 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 it's a little dense, tiny little dense thing. It's neat. It's just, to me, I'm like, Mercury is so cute. <laughs> like, it's, it's a little cute little smart, cute little smart thing. You know, my mind thinks of things that it personifies and does all those things that we do, how we do with things and whatnot. But, um, yeah, Mercury is pretty dope in, in all of that. Now, I'm going to jump all around just so you know. So as we're as we're traversing and we're orbiting around planet Mercury, I will also be jumping to random things. So just know I'm just trying to just show you the different things and how it all connects. It may not be in order or whatever. It may not be strung beautifully and wrapped in a ribbon. But just know that this is where a lot of the information of Mercury comes from. The element Mercury, though. Oh, yeah. Before we get into that, I want to talk about the albedo. So you remember if you listen to my Taurus Venus um, podcast episode about albedo and the amount of light that reflects. So the closer to the number one, the more light sunlight is reflected or light being reflected off of the surface of the planet. The closer to zero, the more absorptive it is. So right now, planet Mercury's albedo is 0.12. So even though it is next to the sun, it has no atmosphere, so you're not going to see a lot of reflection from Mercury. It's getting, it's just straight up absorbing the sun's light. So that's another, you know, again, if you if you think about um, like different teachings, the sun is considered knowledge, um, light. It's it's a life giver of life, and with light, is information that even that the human body takes in, and that. There's things that happen on a, on a molecular level, on a cell level that causes us and plants and things to continue on. Without the sun, there would be nothing. So, of course, scientifically, the sun and the light has information. So Mercury is is absorbing all of that, that light, that radiation, that stuff from the sun. It's just taking it all in. And then it doesn't hold on to it for too long because, again, the atmosphere. But... Just something you should know. You know, it's it's pretty dope. So it's it would be said that that's why Mercury rule. It would be the one that rules the mind, whereas like the sun will be the soul. You have then the mind, Earth. I meant the mind, Mercury. Um, taking in all that anyway. So yeah, that's um that's something interesting about Mercury. But I was about to say something else, and I lost my train of thought. Oh yeah, um, the periodic table of elements and planet Mercury. Okay. So the HG in the symbol for Mercury in the periodic table of elements stands for hydrogyrum, and that was named by the Greeks. And of course, it stands for quicksilver or liquid liquid silver, and that's due to just it's it's melt. It's kind of, it's not melted, but it's um it's liquid at room temperature. Like Mercury in and of itself is a liquid, and um, but it started there. Now alchemists associate Mercury with um, the mind and how. The mind transcends the body after death is what they believe. Also, if you haven't taken a look at the glyph of planet Mercury, you know how each planet has a glyph or a symbol. Take a look at that. Um, but yeah, it's it started as HG, but eventually it was named Mercury. And um, Mercury as the element can be is used in a couple different things. So, yes, it's very toxic. We know that it was I, I had my first encounter of mercury in a thermometer. Now, what, did I ever touch it? No, but I kind of did nudge it with my fingertip. Uh, a thermometer. I broke a thermometer just because I wanted to see, like, what the hell was that stuff in there? I broke a thermometer. <laughs> my mom, I broke a thermometer in the kitchen of my parents home. I had to been like I had to been like 12 or 13 or 14. I was young. I remember hearing, do not, oh, I'm not hearing, I remember reading on that thing, like, do not touch the mercury, it's highly poisonous, it's highly toxic, but when I noticed that when I tried to touch it, like, my, it would not, it would not sink and seep into my skin, it was, like, coated in something that prevented my skin from receiving it, so I eventually was, like, I had it in my hands, and it was, like, it fell out of my hand, and it just, it fell on the floor and like bounced and did this weird thing. And I completely 
was like, all right, well, maybe this is like some type of protection for me to not get this in my skin because I don't know how this would affect me in the manner that it would. So let me leave it alone. So I eventually was able to get it up and get rid of it. But that was my first kind of and I wanted to just see what it was and just understand Mercury because I just wanted to get it. I was in science class and I remember reading about it and I wanted to get it. So that was my own personal experience with um, with the element of Mercury. But yes, it is toxic. And um, that's like one of the main things. But it conducts electricity. Um, it was used in a, a lot of different things. Alarm clocks. Um, uh, what else? Different electronics and shit like that. <laughs> it was used in light bulbs too. Um, barometers as well. What else? Um, but yeah, like the, the mercury and thermometers, I haven't seen one of those in so long, like in a long time. So I don't even think they make them anymore, you know, but anyway, um, yeah, at, at room temperature, it's liquid. It has a, a pretty low melting point. It's not, it doesn't take that much to, to make it hot. It has a very low melting point and it's used to extract gold. So it's through this process called amalgamation. So it, you have to, you have to first purify mercury first. You have to, um, you got to get it out the ore, grind up the ore, heat it up, and then allow the, um, the mercury to like the, the vapors to escape, purify it with nitric oxide after it does all this other kind of stuff. You get the sulfur out of it. And then you can make alloys with mercury and gold and through that you can extract the gold from rocks and it melts gold mercury dissolves gold so once it comes into contact with it the gold just dissolves and it kind of dissolves into the mercury and then you can separate them and get the mercury to still like distill the mercury away from the gold and then you get pure gold you know like i just i thought that was interesting and i'm sure as an alchemist, I don't know if that was done in, in those times as alchemists, if they, if they were doing that or if this was like strictly a mining thing. But it was it was interesting to read that that gold dissolves in mercury, you know. Um, hmm. I, I, I could interpret that in many different ways, but I could just be wrong. You know, as a, as a creative, my mind is thinking of this in a visual sense of what that could mean and how that could symbolize just. I don't know so many different things i don't want to share it all because i it could just be a great idea it could be a great thought that i don't want people to know yet so oh yeah duh so i'm sure you're wondering where you find mercury so primarily it, it in the earth's crust it's found in cinnabar now there's other uh there's like this other ores that you can find mercury in but cinnabar is the primary one or where you mine it from and it's Cinnabar is like it's a mercury sulfide. It's this red brick and the red brick, the red, the pigment in that was actually used for different things at, at, in a time. Of course, it's toxic. So you need to separate to get the you have to purify the mercury, of course, to use it to dissolve the gold. But I'm sure you were wondering, like, yo, where the hell do people even get mercury from? Like, is it just like this pool of liquid? Do you just dig for it and find liquid mercury? Nah, that's not how this thing works. <laughs> but I almost forgot to include that for you. And could you believe that um, it was treatment for syphilis? <laughs> like what? And there was like mad side effects that were taking place from this treatment of syphilis. We were having like ulcers, tooth loss, death, neurological damage. Like it's crazy um, that that was being used as a treatment for syphilis. That's that's insane. But um yeah, mercury mines was a it was um, a form of a, it's a, it was a form of, um, I guess, punishment, really, for for the Romans, like the Roman critic criminals or Roman slaves. They were made to mine mercury and they usually died not that shortly after because of the poisoning. But yeah, mercury is um, it's just interesting, but there's still you, you know, I'm sure now you already know the importance of, of why you need to stay away from it. We talk about mercury and fish and things. So, mm -hmm. 
mercury fillings, the dental fillings. You remember how that was a big thing? Like you people have mercury in their mouths and they had to get their fillings replaced and removed because now I had um, sealant done in my teeth years and years ago. I never got a filling. I never wanted to get the filling because people were just talking about how they didn't like their feelings. And I'm like, I don't want eight people touching my teeth to that capacity. So I'm not going to consume a lot of sugar and I'll make sure I don't get any cavities and I'll be fine. You know, so, yeah, like, you know, mercury is mercury is a big deal. But anyway, back to the planet Mercury. That was just something that I thought was just neat. Let's talk Mercury retrograde. So, yes, retrogrades are when the planets appear to be spinning backwards and, um, you know, people always associate Mercury retrograde and they always throw fear around Mercury retrograde. I don't know why people do that. And they always talk about exes are coming back and yada, yada, yada. Now, that's not always necessarily for some. I see that it happens. Um, that's not the entirety of Mercury retrograde. It's not the entirety of Mercury retrograde is not electronics fucking up. And, you know, it's. It just in in thinking about it, like, yo, if if people are suggesting that Mercury rules the mind and communication and electronics, wouldn't a period where we're going where we appear to be going backwards, wouldn't it make sense that it would be a much more impactful time or a much more impactful moment being that you're kind of not forced to, but you have these desires to think internally or to slow down and to process things on an internal sense, process things mentally and on an internal. To me, I think retrogrades are some of the best times for a person to to get their act together or get their mental act together. And that is through remembering that time is, I mean, time is a lie. <laughs> Yes, you know, you have these retrogrades and things that take place, but the illusions of time and the, the way that we press ourselves for time, you have, if you, if you are trusting or if you have trust in that influence, then you're kind of influenced to, to kind of slow down and take things slower. I would imagine that they are much more impactful times for a person to be, to be way more careful in how they communicate, way more intentional, um, way more directed and slower. So for me, like in my personal life, if I associate the times, like and keep this in mind, when I talk about uh, the things that happen in my life, I always look at the astrology or the astronomy after. So if I start feeling funny and I'm just thinking about like for this, my, my personal case, um, like when I talked about Saturn and the whole my whole Saturn return, I didn't even like I wasn't even into astrology or astronomy then. So all these things that I capture are are like in retrospect and I share them either shit if it's still taking place or in retrospect. Like in my particular case with all the Mercury, where we had the solar eclipse and we have Mercury retrograde in Gemini and then we had the lunar eclipse and all that stuff. It did not hit me until later. And I'm like, oh, now that I have more natal chart information and I've been a bit more informed um, in the astronomy and in the astrology, it makes more sense to me. But I don't do the, the prediction where it's like, oh, it's going to be like this because I tend to want to transcend the influence. You know, I don't I don't want to be stuck in. Oh, well, Mercury's going retrograde. So it means I better do this. No. It just means for me, like, okay, now that I know that, maybe I can make decisions to go beyond that. You know, again, we have the freedom to do as we please and to think as we please. And so it's not to suggest that you should limit yourself or to stay stuck in the principle, not the principle, get stuck in the um, this idea that you're limited to planetary movement. You know, because, again, we're made of the same stuff as the planet. So, I mean, honestly... You know what I mean? So any given rate, um, it's just it's all it's all pretty dope. It's all pretty neat. It's it's all fascinating to me. I don't want to go on for too much longer. But um, is there anything else about planet Mercury? Oh, wait, one last thing. One last thing. One last thing. Mercury has phases like the moon, except that Mercury doesn't go full. Venus and Mercury have phases. They just don't. Mercury, at least from what I remember doesn't have a full like a full quote-unquote mercury phase like the moon would so 
that's why I also mentioned in the beginning, this is why people tend to worship the different planets and things like that. They associate themselves with the different, um, uh, the phases. So, yeah, I think that's it. So, um, yes, there's people who associate, then there's days of the week that are associated with the certain planets and the certain deities or the certain expressions that rule over that or the energies. Yes. Uh, people say, oh, you know, you know, work on this day or, you know, you can implement the energy on this day, yada, 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 yada. I'm of the ilk where it's just like, yo, I mean, you can, but why not just learn about it and just use it in your entire life? Why not just to me? I don't care about the days of the week that are most, you know, oh, but on this day, it's the best. I mean, I'm not against that type of stuff, but I'm for learning it all and not just the days and not just the the phases but also what it how you can use it in other ways um outside of just the best way to ritualize this i'm i'm i don't mind rituals i trust me i don't we all have we all ritualize everything for the most part but consider going beyond that you know going beyond a little bit i think that's it though i think that's it i think i'm done talking about everything so yeah gemini's what's up i love y'all um Y'all model-esque asses. Planet Mercury, you know you, my dog. Um, yeah, some of the greatest artists and musicians and stuff have heavy Mercury influence and just have it all, that dexterity and all that good stuff. Yo, um, I think that's it, though. So um, until such time, <laughs> I am La Painted Fool, and I'll catch you next time. Maybe with Persona 5 next. I don't know. Peace.